0: We want to thank you for answers to prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for answers to unspoken prayer requests that we didn't even share in detail, yet people prayed together, and we know that you answer those prayers. Lord, we thank you for the new names on our membership list as we pray for our members this week. And, Lord, we just ask for your grace. We thank you for your grace that you have given us that we may live for you. In your name we pray amen all right for Psalm 4 and uh, we've been doing a loose series on the Psalms on Sunday night not uh, anything uh, connected one with another just different Psalms for the last several weeks and and uh, this beautiful psalm, let's just read it in its entirety. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But No. That the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There will be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift Thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in a time of their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, o Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Now, when we read the Psalms, it's very easy to really miss what, is being said, especially when the psalm like this one starts out, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And the first verse ends with, Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. And sometimes as we read this, if we're not careful, we'll think that David was in doubt as to whether God was going to hear his prayer. And many times I hear this copied... And uh, it is a, a frightening thing when we pray, please, dear Lord, hear me, help me, help me. Hey, wait a minute. What has God promised in his word? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says he is going to dwell in us. And David certainly was not afraid that God was not going to hear his prayer. He's going to reiterate this several times uh, in this little psalm. But it is also not the opposite idea. Uh, I get so frustrated with the pendulum swings, as they say. We have the one extreme where the person is just, please, dear God, hear me, hear me. I know you promised that you would, but... But Lord, please, please, that borders on blasphemy, my friend. On the other extreme is the, okay, God, you promised you'd hear me, now give it to me now. And and I mean, you got both out there. And you can buy books that will tell you how to do that. But you know what? You don't need books to be dumb. Amen? Uh, you You don't need help. To be wrong. What what you do is you need to get in God's book and understand that David is crying out in confidence, knowing that God is going to hear him. But as with any polite person with any request, you ask. My, my children have this horrible little habit. Dad, can I ask you a question? You already did. Sometimes I'll go, no. Uh, But dad, well, just ask it. You're going to anyway, right? Uh, Let's not waste the time. But what they're trying to do is make sure that they have dad's full and complete attention. And uh, we always have God's attention. Amen. And so... As David is calling out, he's saying, hear me when I call. And he gives two qualifiers to this. He says, O God of my righteousness. Now, we could spend the whole evening on that one phrase. Where does our righteousness come from? It comes from God. God is the only one that can... Give us righteousness. Righteousness is one of those things that you cannot earn on your own. You cannot do. If you're going to have righteousness, you've got to borrow it, as we might say, from the Lord. That's one of, in the armor of God. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's not your righteousness that protects you. It's His righteousness that's lived out in your life that protects you. Amen? It is his righteousness and David is understanding. Of course, we've been going through the life of David in our Sunday school and David certainly had an awful lot of unrighteous things to his testimony, did he not? But what did Nathan tell David? Says the Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. David understood a little bit about justification. He said, God, you've forgiven me. You're the God of my righteousness, the God that has forgiven me, the God that never gives up on us. Amen? And what's the next one? It says, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Now, we may not get the wording in modern English as, as is here, but it, the word enlarged just means to be uh, made bigger. But David simply is saying, God, you've delivered me in my distress. And David's life certainly was one. I mean, he went in just a matter of months from David the giant killer to David the enemy of the king of Saul, hunted and chased throughout the uh, wilderness regions there. Uh, I'll tell you, David knew what it was to be in distress. Someone has suggested that because of the similarities between Psalm 3 and 4 that they were pairs and they were put together uh, by David. And if you'll notice that little note at the beginning... Psalm 3, it says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so uh, we do not know. There's an awful lot we do not know about the psalms. But Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are both uh, attributed to David. And he is saying, God, you're the source of my righteousness. You're the one that's delivered me. You've enlarged me. You've given me deliverance when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Now this idea of mercy, once again. Mercy is what the vanquished receives at the hand of the victor. David is surrendering to God again. You want, you want God to hear your prayer Stop telling them what to do. Surrender again. Surrender to the Lord and to His direction. That's what mercy is. When is the last time you thought about prayer? We get almost ridiculous in our confidence that God will hear our prayers and offer up things to Him that don't belong offered to God. But it is God's mercy that He hears us. And when we surrender to His will, then we give back to Him a reflection or what He already wants to do in our hearts. And that's how you get answered prayer. And so David is calling out, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. So we see David's plea to God here in verse 1. He is not begging God to hear him, he is expressing his confidence in knowing that God will hear him and that God will answer. And now, again, as we've said in Hebrew poetry, The idea is not rhyming words or connecting uh, sounds, it is connecting thoughts. And David is going to go exactly to the opposite end of the spectrum as he has brought his plea before God for you and I to see. Now he is going to bring his plea against the people that were tormenting him for us to see. So you see he's contrasting these ideals here. In verse 2, he says, O ye sons of men, how long? You know, when is the world going to give up and realize who God is? Uh, They're not until the prince of peace rules from the city of peace. Sinners are not going to give up sinning until they lie within the regions of the lake of fire and brimstone that burneth forever and ever. Don't get discouraged when sinners sin. That's, what they, that's why they're called sinners. They are in rebellion against God. Yes, it, can, it should break our hearts. Yes, we should pray for them. But don't let that stop you from being obedient to the word of God. Amen. Now look what he says. How long will you turn my glory into shame. How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Three questions here. He says, How long are you going to turn my glory into shame? Now, stop and think about this. Here is King David. Now, maybe he wasn't king when he wrote this, but certainly David had evidence of God's work in his life. And he says, how long are you going to turn my glory into shame? Now, how does that happen? Oh, it's very simple. You know, the world loves to take the work of God and turn it into shamefulness. You say For every person that says, I found Jesus as my Savior and I got victory over fill-in-the-blank, drugs, alcohol, gambling, all the rest of those things. Oh, you need to see a, a counselor. Uh, you need to see a psychologist. They need to help you get, get away from that crutch of Jesus. Hey, let me tell you, I'd rather lean on Jesus than some psycho idiot that's charging 300 bucks an hour. Amen? Uh, You tell me who's shameful, yet they make us feel, or try to make us feel like we're doing something wrong. I remember people all the time, you get into a little discussion about these things. and, and Well, you just believe God. That's so silly. How long will you turn my glory into shame? You know what? I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to depend upon Him. Amen? But don't be surprised when the world discounts. You go to church on Sunday night? You got to be crazy. You turn my glory. You know why I go to church? because I want to be attached to the Christ that's here. Amen? How long are you going to turn my glory into shame? It will wear you down if you're not careful. How long? How long will ye love vanity? I mean, look at the things the world loves. Money. What makes your money worth something? Have you ever thought about this? How many of you have ever found an old silver note or a gold note? Those are the old, old dollar bills. They used to have a little seal on here and a little statement printed on this, redeemable in gold at the U.S. Treasury. And then later on, it was silver. The silver ones have a little red ink instead of green around the stamp. And uh, I can't remember what color the gold notes were. But you could actually show up at the U.S. Treasury with a gold note and demand payment in gold, all three flakes of it. Uh, But what makes your dollar worth something today? It's because Obama says so. That's the only thing that makes your money worth anything. Now, if that's not enough to frighten you, I don't know what is. Uh, I had a civics uh, teacher in high school, and he he explained this all to us very well. He says, we are now on the air standard. He said, there is nothing behind your money except the hot air in Congress. And uh, that was a long time ago. I was in high school, but that's where we are Do you know what the word vanity means? It says, oh yeah, it's on that uh, magazine, Vanity Fair, right? I hope you don't read that stuff. The word vanity means nothing. Emptiness. But how many people sell their soul for a few dollars? That's all they're looking for in this life. How long are you going to love Vanity. I knew a guy his whole life, his only thing he wanted was to own a brand new Cadillac right off the showroom floor. And he finally got it. Lost everything else so he could get it. Hey, talk about vanity. Nothing this... I remember listening to a radio, one of the talk shows one time, and the topic was men's hair, or the lack thereof. And this one guy gets on the radio, and he says, it's worth it. Well, how much do you spend to maintain your... He was spending $1,200 a month to maintain his fake hair. And he's going on and on and on and on and on about how wonderful it was and all of this stuff. I'll tell you what, if I ever lose mine, I hope I have enough grace to just shine it up. Amen? Why would you be so worried about that? Vanity. Nothing. Emptiness. ...and love leasing. Seek after leasing, I'm sorry. Love vanity, seek after leasing... ...and turn my glory into shame. How many of you know what leasing is? Oh yeah, that's what I did when I bought my car. No, that's not leasing. Not in the Bible anyway. Leasing is lies. It's an old English word. And of course, if you've ever signed a lease on anything... It's not too far removed from, from the real meaning of the word, which is lies, untruths. The simple thing here is, why do men desire lies? It's because they don't want the truth. That's why. They don't like reality, so they make their own. This is the way the world lives. If you want to know about politics in America, you've got it right here. The things we ought to be glory in, they're ashamed of. They're ashamed of the Ten Commandments. They're afraid they might influence somebody. Let me tell you, American jurisprudence is built on the Ten Commandments. It wouldn't hurt us to go back there. But they turn their glory into shame, they love vanity. We are now going to have the government take care of you. Can I ask you a question? Has the government ever taken care of anything properly? I, I don't want the government taking care of me. But they love vanity. I, I don't know who said this. I'll take credit for it if nobody else will. It just simply, we were talking with someone a while back about why people want to control everything. And the process is simply this. You struggle, you gain, you lie, and you cheat to control everything that goes on, only to find out there's nothing left to control. That's the history of communism. And that's what's going to happen with many other things, because it's a love of vanity and seeking lies. That's what our Congress is all about, the... Has anybody heard whether Charlie Rangel won his seat back or not? Uh, The dirtiest guy in all of Congress. If there's anything bad, he's done it, as far as I know. And, and, uh, And he's still holding on to a slim lead. The last I heard, they're still counting the votes from Election Day on the 26th of June trying to figure out whether this rascal's going to get back in for his 22nd consecutive term as a congressperson. Let me tell you, why would anybody vote for somebody like that? Because they're seeking after leasing, after lies. Now look at verse 3. But no. Here's what you are doing in contrast to who I am, but I want you to know something. The Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. That's one of the reasons why we started out saying verse 1 was not David pleading with God to hear him. He is affirming that he has knowledge and the confidence in God and who God is that God will hear him when he prays. He is contrasting these ideals here for us to see. He's saying, God has chosen me. He has set me apart. I know he's going to hear me. And by the way, God has chosen everyone that is saved. Now, we're not going to go nuts like the Calvinists do and start talking about God choosing people to go to heaven and God choosing people to go to hell. But let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear on this fact that God does choose them that choose Him. That God knows those who will put their faith and trust in Him and He will arrange your life so that you can trust Him. He has chosen you. And you don't need anything else to make you feel special. The fact that He saved you is all the self-esteem you ever need. Any more beyond that will get you into the realm of pride and sinfulness against God. And then verse four, I don't know how many times I've looked at this verse and interpreted it all backwards. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed, be still. Offer sacrifice Sila, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Now This is not a command to the righteous. This is David saying, hey, you sinners out there, you people that are tormenting me, I want you to stop and think about a few things here. You've got to understand. God is real. Now, we use the word, I don't. But many people use the word awesome. That was awesome pizza. Uh, that was awesome this or that. The word "awe" here is the root of the word awesome. It talks about mankind's natural response when faced with God. There's no such thing as awesome pizza. There's only an awesome God. The word all is one of those words that means you can't say anything else. You just, uh, yeah, that's all. Your mouth just opens up and you try to say something, nothing comes out. And David says to the unsaved, stand in awe. Look at God. Commune with your own heart. Upon your bed and be still. I like what my preacher told a fellow years ago. He was one of them atheists running around on television shows and trying to, well, what he was doing was trying to turn the glory into shame and demean the Word of God. And Brother Thompson ended their conversation privately by telling him, listen, he says, I want to know when you're dying. He says, will you give me a call? He says, I want to watch you. He says, because I know my God has prepared me for eternity. But I want to see what you atheists do when you die. Only Brother Thompson could do that. Some of you remember him. But let me tell you, David is saying, commune with your own heart. When it's all quiet and nothing else is going on, and you have to look in the mirror and see what is actually there and face your own sinfulness and failures, you've got to know there's a God. You've got to know that what you're doing and all your planning... You wonder why so many of these quote-unquote great leaders choose suicide. I think of all of the high-ranking Third Reich guys. Why? Because they looked in the mirror and what they saw. But it was just a jump out of the frying pan into the fire, as they say. It says offer the sacrifices of righteousness put your trust in the lord david is pleading with them verse 6 there be many that say who will show us any good i mean is this not the call of our day oh everything is going bad woe is me Here's what we need. Lord, lift up thou the light of thy countenance upon us. Just be with us. Just let us see your presence. Just get a Bible and get close to God. Amen? That's all you need. Now look what David is talking here. Again, he's going back and putting this against the other. He says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time of their corn and their that their corn and their wine is increased. If you listen to the news, stock market's going up, it's going up, yeah, it's going up, yes, yes. Now it's going down. David said, Listen, I have more gladness in my heart than they do when their corn and their wine is increased, when, when things are going their way, when they're getting what they want. He says, even in my time of despair and distress, I still have more gladness in my heart than they do. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lay down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety you know true safety is of the Lord you cannot find security anywhere outside the person of the Lord Jesus Christ amen and so as David is putting this psalm on display he is contrasting back and forth the ways of the wicked to the ways of the righteous And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go lay down in peace and I'm going to sleep because I'm not worried. Now, sometimes we even as Christians will say that, but we're still worried. That's not the way it ought to be. Only God can give you safety. And if you're not trusting in him, then we're in trouble, amen? It is so frightening to watch people take and make decisions with their lives that are against the word of God because they're afraid that God might do something. Let me tell you, God is only going to do what is best. We've got to trust Him. There is no place, other place to go And so, as we look at this little psalm here, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. He's saying, God, here's my attitude toward you. But here is the attitude of others toward me. They're never going to give up. They're going to take the things that I glory in and try to make them shameful. They're going to love vanity and emptiness and nothingness. They're going to seek after lying. But God has set me aside. He has set me apart from all of that. He will hear me. And my, my plea to you sons of men who are trying to destroy me is to stand in awe. Oh, look at God. Commune with your own heart. Look at the emptiness of your ways. And trust in God. He'll accept your sacrifices if you'll bring them to Him by faith. Amen. There's a lot of people that wonder why God isn't working and why God isn't doing things. I'll tell you what, I'm glad God has withholden His hand all these years. He has given us time to reach our friends and our family and the people we meet with the gospel. Rejoice in God's long-suffering. What would have happened if Jesus had come the day before you surrendered your heart to the gospel? Be thankful for his long-suffering. Amen? The light of his countenance just knowing he is near i'm going to rest in him the gladness of my heart you see no matter how happy the world gets they all know one thing it's going to be sad again soon but the gladness that is in my heart when i think about the savior that's eternal I never have to worry about it. I never have to try to figure out whether he's keeping up his end. Because the only problems in my relationship with God are on my end. How about you? But he hears our prayer. He forgives our sins. He wants us to have that peace, that rest, and that safety. Just a little song but an awful lot in it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this psalm. Just a few short verses. The contrast between the sons of men and those that God has chosen. We ask that you would help each one of us to be on the right side of that psalm. In your name we pray and we'll just take a moment if you need slip out of your seat or just pray there at your seat we'll enter the prayer time in just a few moments.